So we're going into our second week of Galatians, our Stay True series. And a couple quick notes. Um, something we've been doing is we want everybody to participate in reading Galatians together. So we have these uh, cool little uh, books that are just, a, it's like a journal Bible. It's just the book of Galatians. But unfortunately, at the moment, we are out. You guys are, went crazy last week. And we're like, we all want one. And we are getting more. That's the good news. But we just don't have any this morning. Um, we should be getting more on Monday. So if you happen to be around K-First throughout the week, uh, 9 to 5, uh, Monday through Thursday is our office hours. You feel free to pop in and ring the buzzer and start yelling at Pastor Marty until he shows up and he'll gladly come and get you a book. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Pastor Dave's reminding me of things. I'm like, what? Um, but yeah, that we are getting more. And then um, we have these little bookmarks with our Galatians confession that we introduced you guys last week. And we are getting more of these as well. Uh, we are just low supply today. So if you didn't get one last week and you're like, man, I was banking on you guys having one this week and now I'm never coming back. This is the worst church ever. Uh, please don't do that. We are getting more. We will gladly get you some. We just don't have any at this time. So again, we're gonna get more. Feel free to swing by the office. Uh, Janice is usually in the front desk and she would gladly connect with you and then direct you to Pastor Marty and he would be happy to get you these things. So uh, mentioning the Galatians Confession, this is, uh, we introduced this last week and this is something we're gonna read together every week before we go into uh, our time of uh, word from Pastor Dave. And this is something that if you, uh, once you get one, I would really encourage you to hang on to this and don't just, I mean, obviously it's a bookmark. It's great to put in the book of Galatians, though if you have the journal, it's pretty small. So, I mean, you can use a bookmark in it if you want, but um, these are this is a great way to kind of continue to sit in the book of Galatians and what Paul was saying to the church in Galatia um, and continue to think about it. And so we're gonna read that together uh, real quick and I'm gonna read it first and then we'll sit and kind of think about it. And as I'm reading it, really think about these words and what does that mean for you? What does that, what do these words look like on your Monday through Saturday when you're not here, when you're not listening, when you're not in part of an amazing worship service or connected to an amazing body of people who love Jesus? What do these words mean? And then together we're gonna read it and Pastor Dave will come and speak. So the Galatians confession is, I live by trusting in Jesus who loves me and gave his life for me so I might live free and abundantly in him. I daily follow and trust in the Holy Spirit who leads me to love God and others for the benefit of those in Christ and those who have yet to know him. I walk in humility, recognizing my imperfections and give grace to everyone in their pursuit of Christ. Today, I surrender my life again to Jesus, allowing his character to be shown through me more and more. So my life continually invites people into the family of Christ. Let's read that together. I live by trusting in Jesus who loves me and gave his life for me so I might live free and abundantly in him. I daily follow and trust in the Holy Spirit who leads me to love God and others for the benefit of those in Christ and those who have yet to know him. I walk in humility, recognizing my imperfections and give grace to everyone in their pursuit of Christ. Today, I surrender my life again to Jesus, allowing his character to be shown through me more and more. So my life 
continually invites people into the family of Christ. Thank you. Um, I hope that, that you'll do what I've been doing this week is every single morning, uh, opening up that confession and uh, just kind of speaking that over my day, speaking that over each other, the congregation, I've been speaking it over my family. Um, it's, as it just kind of gets into the bedrock of who I am, I am a little out of sorts here. Uh, last week, uh, we, we had a sermon illustration for which, if you don't know what the word awkward or tension feels like, you missed last week because I've got a contingent of people in here that all they can think of is, please don't stand on your prop, Pastor Dave. And there's a contingent of other people that were taking bets on whether or not I would fall off of it if I tried to stand on it. Um, but I got up there and you can literally feel how tense the room is and I can hear people whispering, don't stand, don't stand, don't stand um, the entire time. It was, uh, it, was, uh, it was a great sermon illustration. Uh, six slivers later, one cut, and I broke my microphone last week all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's, it's all good. If you have your Bibles or your scripture journals, can you believe that we have given out, or I should say sold, we didn't give these out, three bucks. Um, over 150 of these, we've got uh, really 150 plus people who have not just bought them here or bought them on Amazon that have been joining us in a journey through the book of Galatians. That excites my heart that y'all are getting into uh, the idea of get scripture into you and let it get into your life. And uh, uh, it's been just an absolute thrill just to dive in and to watch you posting about it, talking about it, asking questions. Uh, I've seen on social media some people taking pictures of the inside of their journals. They're filling up those journal pages uh, with more than sermon notes. Pastor Dave is giving you the 30,000 foot. you got to get deep down and dirty with it. Um, it. And it's very rare you're going to hear me say that from the pulpit. So um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt really important and then not so much? Just me? Okay. Um, I was at a conference a few years ago and David Wilkerson, legendary, legendary, legendary pastor. Uh, Y'all don't know that joke, sorry. Um, Inside jokes with myself, that's weird. (laughs) David's supposed to speak. David Wilkerson, again, just off the chart, legendary man and something happened with one of his grandchildren so at the last second he had to cancel being there and a Michigan pastor who has a very large church in fact he's retired now his name is David Williams has a large church in the Lansing area was going to be his replacement and so I'm standing at the conference with my best friend and it's getting ready to start and this guy walks up to us well he knows my best friend and he's like hey Aaron we lost David Wilkerson, but we got another David. Who's this other David? And I'm like, David Berenger? He goes, never heard of that guy. Who's that guy? He wouldn't be speaking, and Aaron just smiles. He goes, his name is David, David Williams. He's, oh, I love David Williams. I've heard, you know, I've heard great things from him. And Aaron goes, how'd that feel? I'm like, uh, I guess I thought I was something. And then I'm nothing. And then I get to this week, and uh, I'm downtown, and, and I'm helping a, a gentleman get a meal. And we're having this conversation as we're getting him some, uh, some food. And uh, he's just like, so what college do you go to? I'm like, I, I don't go to college. Did you drop out? No, I finished college. Oh, which college did you finish? Central Bible College. Central Bible College. So we get in this whole conversation. So what do you do? I'm like, 
I'm a pastor, and he does this look, looks me up and down, he goes, who would trust you with an entire church? Give me the food back. I didn't say that. Pray for Henry. Henry and I are buddies now. Who would trust you? Ever thought you were something and then have these little moments and realize that what you thought had some clout or had some substance, but it really just doesn't matter? Lean over your neighbor and say, you really don't matter. Just don't, don't do that. Don't do that to your spouse. Title of my message today is called My Importance. My Importance. And I think of the kingdom of God that we've made certain things very important and sometimes the most important things not so important. I wasn't gonna talk about Kanye, but might as well. Why is it that when that we pray for people to come to know Jesus, but when they come to know Jesus, we start criticizing them because they're not the brand of Jesus we want them to be? Why is it that we're all about people making change, but unless they make the change that we want them to make at the rate that we want them to make, that we're not about the change that they're making and we want them to be more of what we want them to be. Sometimes I think we think of ourselves way more important than what the main thing is, and the main thing is Jesus. And so my main thought today is just seven simple words. I am in Christ and he is in me. I am in Christ and he is in me. This is Galatians 2 right here. Wrapped up in seven words. You can shut off the live stream if you want right now and you can walk out the door and you've got the whole message. But the, the problem is some of you think, well, that's just overly simplistic. Au contraire. It may seem simple, but it's incredibly hard because most of us want to be in Christ, but we don't necessarily want Christ in us. We want to be in Christ, but we want to be me and me. Because it's the me that we see as the most important part. But I say, I am in Christ and he is in me. Galatians chapter two, um, we have got a scuffle. We have got what is considered a church UFC fight breaking out. Uh, I don't know if you guys watch that great Christian programming called UFC, I love UFC. Love UFC. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Some of you are signing me out right now, just tuning me out. I, sorry, I, I like something called sports. And I love it. And when I think of Galatians 2, I think of UFC. Why? Because you have got two of the pillars of the original church. Two of the pillars. We're talking, these are the OGs of the church here. We have got, original gangsters, for those of you that don't know, we've got the originals right here. You've got Peter, who is considered by some the, the, the first pope, and you've got Paul, who is the missionary of missionaries. And you've got Paul standing up to the guy, the dude, Peter, who in your translations might say Cephas, same person, Cephas, Peter, same person. And let me give you just a little bit of background because in Acts chapter 10, Peter is in prayer 
And it's in this vision that he has in Acts chapter 10 that this blanket lowers down from heaven and it has all sorts of animals on that blanket and including animals that were deemed by the Jews as unclean. And a voice from heaven says, look at everything on the blanket. Kill, grill, and eat. And everybody said, amen. Sorry, vegans. So, I mean, you've got things that are totally unclean, things like pigs in the blanket. I had to. I just had to. I had to. Oh, I love Christian jokes. You've got all sorts of things unclean. You've got, like, Alaskan king crab on there, and you've got bacon, and that's all you need in life right there. Everything's being lowered down, and the voice from heaven it just begins to speak into Peter, saying, listen... Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross didn't cancel the law, he completed it. And that which is unclean is clean. And there's a deeper sense of meaning that's here is that we which were unclean in our sin are made clean because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And so this really opens up a massive door to the Gentiles as Peter begins to sit and eat with Gentiles who was really anybody that wasn't Jewish. And so he would hang out with the Gentiles. He would hang out with people that weren't like him, people that were not of his race or nationality. He would hang out, and they're chilling. They're watching all sorts of football and whatever else, godly things. And they're just having a blast until some prominent Jewish leaders from Jerusalem showed up, and immediately he stands up and goes over to them, acting as, as if he wasn't with the Gentiles. Somebody shows up, and immediately he's a different person. And he begins to side with them and to say, well, yeah, I'm Jewish, you're Jewish, and those Gentiles, if they're gonna come to know Jesus, they have to basically abandon who they are and not necessarily turn to Jesus, but they have to become like us. Gentiles really need to become Jews. And this massive, massive church divisional thing takes place. Division hits the church. Church division is not a new concept. It is not a 2019 brand new concept. This has been going on since the beginning stages. He ate with the Gentiles until somebody else shows up. Look at verse 13, chapter two, verse 13. I'm gonna try to do this with a microphone in my hand. This is a little different here. It says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically. I mean, in fact, let's go back. I don't know why I took my foot to turn back. It says, uh, verse 11, when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Look at, we can do a whole sermon right now for some of you that you want to say bad things about other people, but you would never say it to their face. Saying it on their Facebook is not saying it to their face. Let's move on. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. <laughs> I've heard the Republicans or the Democrats, never heard of the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Who is Barnabas? Barnabas is literally the most encouraging person that you will ever meet in Scripture. In fact, his name means encouragement. But he was swayed by that. And when I saw that their conduct 
conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. What's the truth of the gospel? Listen to last week. The truth of the gospel is Jesus. The truth of the gospel is not the assemblies of God. It's not the Baptists. It's not the Presbyterians. It's not the Church of God. It's not the independents. The truth of the gospel is Jesus. And I said to Cephas or Peter before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? For we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, and yet we know that a person is not justified by works. Circle that in your scripture journals. We are not justified by works of the law, but through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. So we believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because of, by the works of, of the law, no one will be justified. What is Paul saying? You are not justified because of something about you. You're not justified because of a characteristic that you possess specifically. The word justified, it is a very, very Christian word. I mean, it's not just a Christian word, but we utilize it a lot in Christianity. When we talk about the word justification, we tend to throw it out not understanding what it fully means. To be justified means simply this, to be declared innocent. Write that in your scripture journals. To be justified means to be declared innocent. In other words, no part of that penalty can be placed upon you. For when we were justified in Christ, we were declared guiltless and innocent in God's sight, which means that we are completely accepted as his daughters and his sons. No condemnation is placed upon us, and all the privileges and the full citizenship of heaven and the kingdom is placed upon us. We are his sons and his daughters, and when we placed our faith in Jesus, immediately God made us complete writes in his eyes and I say thank you Jesus we are justified not because of what you signed up for here at K first you're not justified because of a nationality you're not justified because you've got a pedigree in the church I mean I got I gotta give uh, props over here Teresa who got baptized today I'm gonna embarrass you Teresa her I think it's her great grandmother was one of the six people in 1931 who called and said, would you send us a pastor to Kalamazoo so our church can begin here? So what we saw baptized here is the fruition of what started years ago. That's a beautiful thing. And so, let's give her a hand clap, that's cool. So she's got a good pedigree but she's not saved by the pedigree. She's not saved because of her Christian resume. She's saved because of a faith in Jesus Christ. And what Paul is trying to write to Peter and to the rest of the church there in Galatia, he is saying this. If you can just get this idea that you're not saved by the law, you're not saved by following rules, you're not saved by your nationality, he's saying if you can get this, it will get all of the superiority out of your life that you think sets you apart and makes you more important than anybody else. And there Paul gives one of the most famous verses in all of Christianity when he says this, verse 20, for I have been crucified with Christ, And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith. I live by faith. God is the one who gives us justification. It is not the rules. You see, if you want to know the context of the law, see, the Jews had over 600 laws. And outside of those laws, they had what they called hedge laws. And what hedge laws were, were extra laws that they built up. They had literally hundreds of hedge laws around the 600 plus laws they already had. Just like, for example, if the law says stop at the stop sign, they would have a hedge law that would say you have to stop a block before the stop sign so that you have no way to actually go through the stop sign. Laws about the laws, about the law, so that nobody would break the laws because the idea is the more accepting you were to the law, the more God accepted you. The better you were at obeying the law, the more that God would actually love you. The better you were with the law, the higher spiritually you were and people would look at you and think higher of you. But I wonder that if we have built up an idea of Christianity that makes us way more important than we really are. We treat church like Survivor. Know that great Christian show, Survivor? If we could just outdo somebody else, we will show them we belong more than they do. If I could just show something, if I can have a snap your Instagram post, if I can say this or do this, and maybe we can outlast, outwork somebody else and look better than what we really are. This really takes me back to the book of Genesis, chapter three. Did you know that the very first emotion that we read about in humanity, the very first emotion that humanity felt after sin came on the picture was shame. It's the very first human emotion that we read that when Adam and Eve sinned, the immediate emotion they experienced was shame. Shame over what? They were naked. That's how grandpa said it. They were naked. They were naked and they looked at each other and they felt shame but the question is, did they become naked when they sinned? No, they were naked before they sinned. But their nakedness didn't bother one another. Why? St. Augustine says this, because they were clothed in the love and the acceptance of the Heavenly Father. The nakedness didn't offend them because they were living and embracing the love and acceptance of the Father, so they felt no shame. But once they stepped away from that acceptance, they begin to feel exposed, and they begin to navigate for ways to, that were apart from God's acceptance. And so when they felt shame, what did they do? They covered themselves. Sin will make you stupid. How stupid? Genesis chapter three, they cover themselves with what is known as one of the most itchy leaves out there, fig leaves. Think about that. I am covering up my private parts with itchy leaves. Way to go, sin. <laughs> Understand this, the human soul feels naked and exposed. And it is our nature to constantly look for something to cover our shame, to give us the justification to be present. 
and we attempt to do this. We attempt to put things upon our lives that will distinguish ourselves apart from the people around us. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. Charles Spurgeon is a 19th century preacher and he was talking about the Church of London and he identified three things specifically that really were the, the crumbling, the thing that divided the Church of England. Write these things down. This is fascinating because I want to break it down for you. There was the pride of race, the pride of face and place, and the pride of grace. I'm gonna pack this for you if you would allow me. Because when I look at this, I see Galatians 2. I see that which not just divided the church in Galatia, it divided the church in London. It divides the church, especially here in America in 2019. Let's break it down real quick here. Let's unpack this. The idea of the pride of race. Can we talk about race a little bit? You're like, but Dave, you're white. No kidding. Let's get the awkwardness out of the way here. Let's talk about race because I think this is something we ought to be able to talk about in church. This is something we ought to be able to talk about with each other. This is something that we ought to be able to identify and understand that our ethnic and culture identities are beautiful. Our ethnic and culture identities, they are beautiful. Why? Because we as the body are like a multi-sided diamond that reflects the glory of God. That you have a background that it's okay and it's a beautiful thing to have that background. Some guy wrote me from Detroit. A friend of mine wrote me because I had a picture of my keyboard on my, on my laptop and it's got a Canadian flag on there. And he was all mad because I wasn't, a very, I wasn't a good patriot apparently. But I'm like, I miss my grandfather. He passed away and that just reminds me. He goes, oh, my bad. <laughs> I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my grandfather. I'm proud of my background. I'm proud of who I am. And that's a beautiful thing to have ethnic or cultural identities regardless of what it is. But understand my heart this morning. When they become our primary distinguishing identity, that's how division is caused. Let me say it this way. When our race is now what justifies us, when our race is the only thing that clothes us, that's where division comes into play. For Peter and Paul and this thing that's going on in, Genesis, in, in Galatians chapter two, Paul is saying, listen, you want the Gentiles to become Jews. They don't need to become Jews because salvation is not by race. In fact, Paul would say this, is that we all are part of a collective race called the human race. And all of us in the human race have a collective problem and it's called sin. But the beautiful thing about the collective problem is we all together have a collective answer for our collective problem. And his name is Jesus. And we have that hope. And in fact, it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, look at this. Romans 10, verse 12, it says this, that there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all. This is, God is not trying to get rid of our cultural distinction. He's trying to set that aside for the sake of us to see that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God has not come that he might save America. He came that he might save the entire world. That's the heart of Galatians 2, where Paul is trying to say, Peter, stop trying to push the cultural pressure that supersedes Jesus. Again, we should celebrate our ethnicity. We should celebrate our backgrounds, but understand that our salvation is not found in our race. 
Salvation is not found in our race. We live in an age where white privilege is a, is a greater issue than we've ever admitted. But you know what? I, in front of the Lord, there's one privilege, and it's through Jesus Christ, who made a way for all of us, for all of us. And God forbid that we should ever flaunt our ethnicity before we would ever lay it down before Jesus. Our salvation is not found within our race. It's found within Jesus. See, where we see most of our church divide is when we have made something outside of Christ become more significant than Christ. And I would include skin color. I would include denomination. I would include preference. I would include a lot of things. God forbid that when we take anything and we divide the body of Christ based upon anything outside of Jesus. And divides and disunity happens when we begin to place anything higher than Jesus. Now I say, let's, let's lift Jesus higher. This is a song we used to sing back in the 80s. Lift it up Jesus higher that all would come. Let the world see because if he be lifted up, he would draw not some men, not a few women, not just a few people, not just white people or black people or Hispanics or Asians. It's that all the nations, because when we look in heaven, what I see in the book of Revelation, it's just not a handful. It is every nation, every tribe, every tongue that will bow their knee and call him Lord. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, your worth is not in your Jewishness. And if anybody could say that, Paul can say that. Because Paul, I'm going to use the word gangster twice today. Paul went gangster on this issue of ethnicity. How do we know that? Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul goes through this list. Read Philippians 8 today. This is awesome. Because he starts listing all of the stuff that he could brag about. Because especially for the Jewish race, this was something very precious to them. This was distinguishing them and when they're, and it, within their hearts. We are the people of God. And so Paul lists everything that he could brag about. And he says this. And in your ESV, it will say, it is all rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish in the Greek language is the word skubla. There's a fun word. All right, everyone say that with me. Scubula. Come on, a little louder. Scubula. One more time. Scubula. This is awesome because I just made all of you cuss in Greek. We read rubbish in the ESV. Some of your translations will say dung. But if you did a literal translation of scubula, it is something probably so offensive that you would wash your 12-year-old's mouth out with soap if they used the English word. Paul said everything next to Jesus doesn't matter. It's poop. It's dung. It's crap. That's all I'm doing. That's all it is next to knowing Jesus. Now understand, Paul didn't hate his culture. Paul didn't hate his culture. Paul celebrated his culture, but he recognized his culture couldn't save him. And let me tell you this, America is not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. Culture can't save us. 
And we could try to redeem our culture, which I believe we should be, but we redeem it so that the name of Jesus goes forward. And listen, when we come to Christ, our cultural distinctives don't have to go away, but, 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 they become much less important than Jesus. Don't lose your cultural distinctions. Don't lose that. I don't have to stop having Canadian blood in me. I don't have to lose that at all. I don't have to leave the Detroit in me over in Detroit. I don't have to do that. You don't have to leave that stuff behind. But what we do have to do is disconnect it from Jesus because they are less important when it comes to Jesus. There is an amazing African-American pastor. His name is Tony Evans. I want to read you a quote by him. It says, he says this, the racial application of Paul's teaching here in, in Galatians 2 is that it is technically incorrect to say I'm a black Christian or I'm a white Christian because now you've made, made black, white adjectives and Christian a noun. And the job of the adjective is to modify the noun so now you've got to keep Christian looking like the adjective that describes it or it ceases to be Christian. But black and white culture have nothing to do with the essence of being Christian. Better, I'm a Christian who happens to be white, or I'm a Christian who happens to be black. Paul writes and says, Peter, Gentiles don't have to act like Jews, and guess what? Jews don't have to act like Gentiles. Whites don't have to act like blacks, and blacks don't have to act like whites. We don't have to try to lose our distinctive so we can take on someone else's distinctive. He's calling us not to act like somebody else, but to be kingdom people. And we could be kingdom people while living out our distinctives. See, our identity in Christ has to become much greater than any other identity we possess. Just as much as I agree with with Tony Evans in saying that there's no such thing as a black Christian or a white Christian. It is a Christian who happens to be black or a Christian who happens to be white. I would say the same thing. There is no such thing in my mind as a Republican Christian or a Democrat Christian because the second that the, that the noun is different from the adjective, it ceases to be Christian. You can be a Christian that happens to be a Democrat, that happens to be a, a Republican. Let's stop having adjectives that describe us outside of Jesus. That's it, and that's all. That's who we are as kingdom people. And the identity in Christ must, must be much greater than any identity we possess. Whenever I talk about race or I'm having conversations of race, there's a handful of, of just amazing men and women in my life that I will give a call, and one of them is a pastor by the name of Christopher Swims. Christopher Swims, is a, he is an African-American pastor. He has a primarily black congregation, and they're Baptists. And so when I call him, we always laugh because we are just opposites in numbers of ways, but we laugh because it's like people think that we're opposites, but we're one in Jesus. And so we have these conversations. And so, dude, I gotta throw all of this stuff out to you, Christopher Swims. You gotta help me out here. Am I preaching this right? Am I seeing this right? And I wanna give you one of his quotes to me from the other day. He said this He said, Dave, Jesus supersedes everything. Do not deny who you are. You could celebrate who you are, but it should never override who you are as a believer. That is as plain as it gets. You see here in Galatians 2, it's not taken away from the importance of who you are in terms of your background. Your family history is important. Your nationality is important. Politics are important. Sport teams, sports teams are the most important. 
But let me say this, K first, what should bring us together is that which justifies us. What brings us together is what justifies us. And it's one name. It's Jesus. That's why we can hug each other. We can handshake. We don't have to see eye to eye on peripheral things, but we do see eye to eye on the one main thing. And everything we do with this church will always begin with Jesus and it will end with Jesus and it will be about Jesus. I had somebody contact me a few weeks ago that thought that we didn't believe in scripture anymore. I'm like, listen, number one, stop listening to gossip. Number two, it is always, always about Jesus. That leads me to the second thing. Man, I spent a long time on that one. We got the pride of race and then we got the pride. Uh, Spiritual will say the pride of face and place. What does this mean? This means personal accomplishment or characteristics that set you above other people. Because we naturally see people as categories. Beautiful people, not so beautiful people. Successful people, not so successful people. Fit people, not so fit people. Uh, we, can just, we can go into categories and we naturally will see people in those categories and we either do one of two things. We either look at somebody and we immediately feel superior because we see ourselves as better or we immediately feel intimidated because we think they're better than us. We constantly take face and place and we put people in those categories and other in ways to just measure ourselves or to measure them. And Paul says, listen, the only thing that matters is one face in one place. It is Jesus and his kingdom. And there are not categories that are lingering out there. But you know, we love to categorize people. I hear it all the time. People approach me. I know so-and-so is doing this sin. I know so-and-so has this lifestyle. You know what we like to do is we like to categorize sin. And we make some better than the other. And usually it's to argue our way from not changing and just looking down at somebody else that way that, well, God help them. They'll need the grace of God more than I do. Or we see somebody having come through something and then we just don't see ourselves as having hope. We either place ourselves superior or we place ourselves far superior. We have so many categories of sinners. Can I give you just one category of sinner? You can write this down. I still love from Amazing Grace. There's the wretch. Or write down the word hopeless. Because apart from Jesus, who has hope? Who has hope? Boy, you can have all the good looks, but what is it without hope? You can have all the skills. What is it without hope? Boy, you don't get some of the honor that I get to sit at people at their bedside as they're breathing their last breath. And not a single one of them talk about looks or skills or money or anything at all. You know what they all, all they talk about? They talk about hope. You gotta tell my kids about hope, Pastor Dave. You gotta tell my grandkids about hope because it all, that's all that matters, that we can sit and divide ourselves talking about categories of this and that, the ins and the outs. But how, can, how about we scrap everything and we say we are all wretches next to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. We're all scoopla, but thanks be to God that his hope came and pulled us out of the scoopla and gave us standing as sons and daughters of God. Man, I'm sweating like crazy. I blame the new mic. So we have the, the pride of race and the pride of face and place, and let's wrap this sucker up. The pride of grace, because this is the one, if there's anything that I've struggled with more than anything in my life is the pride of grace. What is the pride of grace? Uh, 
I am a fourth generation pastor. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents have never been divorced. Um, my parents, they, they were over this past weekend. And uh, number one, I, I feel the, the most honored man ever. And number two, uh, I'm scared I'm becoming more and more like my dad. So <laughs> I looked at Anne, I'm like, behold, what is he, what you're in store for? My parents love me. They'd do anything for me. And it's very easy to, to sit back on a resume and say, well, I'm better because I avoided what other people did. It's easy to have a pride of grace and saying, I'm better off because I'm not doing what other people are doing. I take pride in my grace. It's so often that we can turn away from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we will look at somebody and say, well, at least I'm not them, so maybe I don't have to have so much change. But God bless, they need change. I hope they heard Pastor Dave's message the other day. We can say things like, I've never been to prison. I've never been fired. Never been divorced. Well, I never got pregnant outside of wedlock. I never killed a person. I don't know why we go to that one all the time. I've never done this and I've never done that. And we have this pride of grace. Scripture says, Romans 3.23, the same author of the book of Galatians wrote in Romans 6, excuse me, Romans 3.23, that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what was ripping apart apart the Church of London hundreds of years ago, I believe is ripping apart the church today as we just sit and look at other people and instead of making any change, we give ourselves a pass for no change or open to the Spirit of God in our lives because we're looking at somebody as less than us. And when we look at the idea of humility, it should destroy any sense of superiority over any one person. Verse 16. Paul says to Peter and the church of Galatia that we are justified, made right, not by what you haven't done. You're made right by faith alone. Not by how good you are about your race or anything. Justified by faith. In verse 20, and you're not just justified by faith, but you now live by faith. I want you to write this in your scripture journals. The gospel, the gospel is both a diving board and a pool. It's not just where we start. It's where we live and engage, or even better yet, the gospel is like a well. You know how you get the most out of a well? It's not that you make the well wider, you make the well deeper. And so we not just have access, the diving board, the opening to the well by faith, but the way that we engage in all that God has in store for us is to navigate, verse 20, life by faith. 
You see, the gospel is not just about me being in Christ, but Christ being in me and his gospel working through my life. Paul is trying to hit the nail on the head to Peter saying, listen, it's not about your Jewishness. It's not about your laws. It's not about you got it better than the Gentiles. It's all about Jesus. It's all about following him and not just believing him, but pursuing him, allowing him to work through your life. Stop basing your identity upon what Christ had done something at one point, but keep living in that. We stop at salvation. God doesn't want you to stop with a hand in the air. He doesn't want you to stop with a simple prayer. He wants you to pursue him. So that on Monday morning, when you look at your day and you think to yourself, well, church was yesterday. We say it all the time. Church doesn't begin at 10 o'clock on Sundays. It begins at 1130 when we walk out those doors because people need to see hope. They don't need to see categories. They don't need to see have and have nots. They need a light that cannot be hidden because I am in Christ and he is in me. So let me wrap up with three simple statements and I'll shut up. Number one, you are complete in Christ. Quit acting like somebody else. Paul's trying to tell Peter, you're complete. Quit trying to be something to please somebody else. Quit trying to look like someone else's brand. Look like Jesus. Because being complete in Christ is a moment and it's a lifetime. Faith in Christ and living, walking, journeying by faith after him. Secondly, God will never give you a life that makes him unnecessary. I want this to challenge every one of our walks and our journeys with Jesus Christ. That God is not about setting your feet so you can set it and forget it. It's like, okay, Dave's good. Let me go attend to somebody else. God never puts me on a path that makes him unnecessary. I want to wake up and live every single day and begin to say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to navigate through this day, but I know I can navigate it with you. Some of you need that word today because you don't have any hope for tomorrow. But understand this, that you may feel God in the room today and you may not feel it tomorrow, but it doesn't dictate the fact that his presence is with you and he will not call you to do something to journey in such a way and to live in such a way to approach a calling in such a way that makes him unnecessary. He will be with you and he will equip you and he will drive you and he will encourage you. He will correct you. He will challenge you and he will bless you and he will help you. Then lastly, the way you begin the Christian life is also the way we continue the Christian life. It's the diving board in the pool and the grace that got you going is the grace that carries you through. The grace that showed you that salvation is not by the color of your skin or the country that you live in. Salvation is not by the accomplishments that you can do and the status that you can develop. Salvation's in Jesus. And everything else is over on the side. And how we begin is how we live. How we understand is how we navigate. It takes faith to put your trust in your life in Jesus' hands. And it's a faith journey the rest of your life knowing that if I'm gonna act Christ-like and be Christ-like, it takes a whole lot of faith. If you've never believed me, you've never been stuck in traffic. You've never navigated a, a tough boss or gone through a marital struggle or watched your children suffer and not know what to do. It takes faith. And it's a faith journey that has carried me for 43 years through some tough times and through some rocky roads to dark thoughts, broken moments, 
and I'm here to tell you that he's been faithful. The scripture says the righteous shall live by faith. And sometimes it is a diving board and other times it's the deep end. But there's not once that he's ever failed me. And I love the song that we sang. I've seen him move, I've seen him move mountains. And I do believe that he can do it again. So I just wanna pray over you today. Would you bow your heads with me?